Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. Sounds like he's been a good God already this week. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's remember, brother and sister Boyd, while they're away, and let's don't forget district conference. Tomorrow night at 7.30, Friday night at 7.30, looking forward uh, to seeing what God will do. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 19. I know Brother Rayleigh would be proud of me for that. I'm going to read from a few scriptures out of Genesis 19, but I'm going to discuss tonight the life of Abraham and Lot. And that pretty much starts in the 13th chapter. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of those scriptures. But, And I know everybody knows the story, and this has been preached a thousand times over. Uh, but I just want to refresh us and remind us tonight, if the Lord will. And so I'm just going to pull out little bits and pieces of this, and, and uh, we'll see what the Lord will do with that. Genesis 19, verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain. Everybody say, run to the mountain. Lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, no, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. And the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. And then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt, and Lot went up to Zor and dwelt in the mountain. Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zor, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. I know I've took some time to do a lot of reading tonight. But I wanted to just kind of lay some uh, foundation of where we're at and uh, just kind of take us on a road trip for a little bit. Now, this ain't going to be no long Atlanta road trip, maybe just a Valdosta road trip. I'm gonna, I'll try, so, so don't get nervous about, about the road trip. And I want to speak to us from this subject, why living on the edge will be a high price to pay. Before the judgment came, he was afraid to live in the mountain. And after the judgment came, Lot was afraid to live in the valley. Someone once says, you must look where you are going because you will go where you look. 
Oliver Wendell Holmes says, it matters not where you are, but whether what direction you are heading. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever it is that you like, whatever it is that you have interest in, whatever captivates you and moves you and stirs you, that's where our heart will follow. A wise man said, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. It is important in this day and hour that you and I are intentional about where our focus is. We are living in precarious times And the Bible says that Jesus related to what was going on just before the rapture to the generation that would see the rapture take place. He identified them with two previous generations. And in other words, Jesus was saying what we've seen, what took place way back then is going to take place right before the rapture. And those those two generations was the generation of Noah and the generation of Lot that we are speaking of tonight. Jesus said in Luke 17, And 28, likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. In verse 32, those three words that seem to echo in our mind when we read them, remember Lot's wife. It's an issue of focus when we talk about the days of Lot. What he's saying here is in the days before the coming of the Lord that the same conditions that was in the world in Lot's time are the same conditions that we are dealing with in our present world. When we think about the days of Lot, what comes to our mind? Corruption, pride, greed, perversion, homosexuality, people opposed to the kingdom of God and the things of God. It's, it's pretty familiar with what we're dealing with, and the list could go on. Yet this is, ironically, not what Jesus focuses on when he talks about the end times. He talks about eating and drinking. Now, I'm, I'd assume that most of us has done that today. He's talking about buying and selling. And I, I would assume that in some shape, form, or fashion, if not today, in the last few days, that there has been some buyers and sellers in the house. Now, some of us tend to buy more than others and like to shop a lot. I fall into that category. They planted and they built. All of this is associated with aspirations and dreams. And we say, well, what's what's wrong with that? Well, nothing in itself is, is particularly wrong. Nothing is wrong to desire to have a better life. Jesus himself said, I come to give life in life more abundantly. But what Jesus is saying here as that the society or the people in the days of Lot got so focused on what they were eating and what they were drinking and what they were buying and selling and and building and planting that they missed important opportunities in their life to be a part of the kingdom of God and to do something spectacular for the kingdom of God. And the warning that he has for the church today, for you and I, is that we would not get caught up in the big sins of the world. You know, as apostolic Pentecostals, and I say this respectfully, we, we like to label sins. You know, we like to have them all in a line, what from, from worst to last, you know. But, but God is saying, don't get caught up in those sins. That, that's obvious. It's very apparent as apostolic Pentecostals that we need to avoid those. But God is saying, look out for the little things, the blurry things, the things that seem to slip up on you that you don't always keep your mind and focus on. In our text this evening, there is obviously some fear that could be struck in our heart, and that's certainly understandable when we read what happened to Lot's wife. But but what I want us to look at also tonight is the hope that this text gives. See, in the days of Lot, there was also a man by the name of Abraham who walked with God, and God called him his friend. And if, if you and I will focus our minds in the right direction and take this opportunity, we have that same privilege. Abraham was just a man just like we are, human just like we are. And we have that same privilege tonight, you and I, to be called that friend of God. But what God is seeking in the church today, he's trying to pull people up higher. He's trying to pull people into a relationship. And I want that. 
I, I personally, I want to step into that. I, I thank God where, for where he's brought me from, but I'm not where I want to be. I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I want to be like Abraham, and I want to be called that friend of God. God blessed Abraham. That's apparent in our reading, and I think we all want to be blessed. But success has many avenues and many sources, but blessings can only come down the pipe in one way, and that's from God. God, God's the only one that's blessed. And Lot saw the blessings on Abraham's life. He, he saw the things that God was doing through Abraham. And, and Lot says, you know what? I want to be a part of this. I want to attach myself to Abraham. And Lot started out with the best of intentions. God is blessing Abraham. We, we read in earlier chapters where they went through a famine and they come out of Egypt, not poor and destitute as one might think, but they come out wealthy. They come out with, with cattle and, and livestock and sheep and gold and silver and servants and, and handmaidens. And, and I mean, Abraham had it going on. He would be equivalent to the Rockefeller of his day. But because they had so much, Scripture tells us that the herdsmen begin to quarrel and they begin to fight because there wasn't enough room for everything that God had blessed them with. See, see, Lot learned that if you wanted to be blessed, you hook up with somebody that is being blessed. You find somebody that God is using and God is working through and that and that God is able to that has a relationship with God and that it, it is committed to God and the, and the kingdom of God. And if, if you want to go forward in life, let me say this to our young people tonight. I'm, I'm not picking on you, but if you, want to, if you want to move forward in the kingdom of God, young people, you find you an elder or an adult and you attach yourself. Find you one that's committed to God, that's committed to the kingdom of God, and you attach yourself to them. And you allow them to lead you and guide you and show you. I, I, I know in, in, your, in your age group, and I know there's gray hair in, in this old head tonight, and I have not lost my memory yet, so I can remember those days in school. And I can remember how important it was for me to be a part of the in crowd the popular group, the, the place that you wanted to fit in. But let me tell you something tonight, young people. The people that are so popular today, I can make you a solemn promise. They won't be that popular in 20 years from now. I could tell you stories tonight and Jenny could verify the groups of people that was in our school, popular people that we wanted to be a part of. And I've watched over the last 25 years is some people that you thought would, the, the, the sky was the limit for them. And I've watched alcohol slow walk them down and destroy their life. I've watched drugs take over and ruin their family and leave them living in shacks and shanties with nothing. I've seen friends of mine that have committed suicide because they could not deal with life and what was going on. It's important. It's important to, to, be, to surround yourself with people that are serious about living for God. As in the case in everyone's life, Lot had finally come to a place. He had, he had been living off of Abraham's blessings and it was time now for him to make a commitment of his own. He, he needed to find out if this God was really real and could he do all the things for him that he had done for Abraham and he had to, to make a decision. Am I going to start this for myself? Am I going to start a prayer life for myself? Am I go, going to start dedicating myself to God on my own? Or am I going to continue to hang on the coattail of Abraham? And, and I know, especially in the rich history in this church that we're a part of, there are those who have gone on before us, our elders who had a walk, who knew how to talk with God, who knew how to get to heaven's tension, and they paid a tremendous price for you and I. We all stand and sit here today because of somebody else's blood, sweat and tears and I'm thankful for that and now more than ever in the last hour I appreciate every, every brick they laid. I appreciate every, every light bill they paid every prayer that went forth I appreciate everything they done and I mean no disrespect to them but now more than ever in this last hour it's time for us, this church to rise up, we can't afford to lose our focus and start looking back over our shoulder, but we've got to set our eyes on the prize and understand that there is souls that's hanging in the balance. 
Hell is unleashing an attack on our families, on our children, on our loved ones. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to stand and stand on the word of God and fight? Fight for the kingdom of God? Or are we going to allow ourselves to be rolled over by the devil and his enemies? Abraham, Abraham did not have his focus on all the trimmings and all the, the blessings that God had given him. But his focus and his desire was, was not on earthly possessions. Abraham teaches us. He is a prime example that you can have abundance and live for God. It's possible. You can do it. And he teaches us that with his walk with God. And the way Abraham did it is he always put people above possessions. And he always put principle above prosperity. So Abraham, he comes to Lot. That The herdsmen are feuding. And I know I'm jumping around, but stay with me. We're going somewhere. The herdsmen are feuding and, and they need some more room. And Abraham hears about this fighting. And he comes to Lot and he said, Lot, whatever you want, whatever way you want to go, you pick it. You want the left? I'll go to the right. You, you want the right? I'll go to the left. And what Lot missed here was a great opportunity to give respect to an elder. What Lot should have said was, No, Abraham, I've been walking with you. I know that my life is blessed because of your relationship with God. So I'm not going to pick here. I, I want you to make the choice. You tell me which way to go, and I'll go. I, I want to honor you, and I, I want you to be the decision maker here. But no, Lot says, well, if you're leaving it up to me, I'm picking the high grass. I'm picking the cool, clear water. And he turned his focus on the wrong thing. And the, the Bible says when I was reading this that when Lot was gone away, and it took Lot leaving for the Lord to say this, but he said, Abraham, I want you to look northward, southward, eastward, westward. Everything that you see is yours. Now, the word lot in one translation means veil, like a veil covering the face. And as long as Lot was there with his mind focused on the wrong things, he, his, he was a distraction to Abraham. And it took Lot getting out of the way. It took God moving Lot to lift that veil where God could show Abraham what he really wanted to make of him. And I, I, I'd say this carefully, but sometimes in our life, there are things, and as reluctant as I am to say this, there are even people who are a distraction to what God is trying to do through us, what God is trying to do with us, and we're never going to be able to climb any higher. We're never going to be able to do any more until that veil is removed and God can show us what He would have us. See, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder was God. He was constantly focused. But Lot, Lot goes to the fruitful plains of Jordan and he gets his eyes on the wrong thing. And from Jordan, Lot can see Sodom from a distance. Don't ever think, don't ever think that looking at the world from a distance won't have an effect on you. As apostolics, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot, you cannot look at the world from a distance and it not have an effect on our spiritual life. Lot, he, he's looking at Sodom and from the tent over here on the plains, it's not, doesn't seem like a big deal, but he hears the singing and they hear the noise of the crowds and and I, I'm just, my mind's just thinking what might take place. And I'm not saying that his wife had anything to do with this. But I can imagine she says, come on, honey, let's go over there. And I want you to take me shopping a lot. So they stroll through Sodom and they're shopping and looking around. And doesn't really hurt anything what they're doing. But that takes place over and over. And they keep going back and... While they're there, they're starting to hear things and they're starting to see things. And, 
and, and they pass a house that has a for sale sign in front of it. And Lot's wife says, well, now this, this could be in our budget here. Yeah. And before long, they're not just part-time visitors in Sodom. They're, they're now living in Sodom. Lot finds himself living there. and He's selling off his herds and he finds himself in a bit of trouble. And he doesn't even realize the danger that he's in. He's brought his family into this place, brought them into a, a den of iniquity. And the Bible says that there was four kings that went out to fight with five kings in the five cities of that valley. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah was the two big cities. And then there was the three little cities. And these five kings had it in their mind that they was going to go overtake the other four kings. And we all know the story, and I'll run through quickly with this, but the four kings... Uh, they overtake the five kings and the Bible says they run them into some slime pits and they take everything they have and they take Lot and his family and they capture everybody. And here's Abraham still sitting over there in his tent praying every day. Relationship with God, friend of God, walking with God. And God enlightens him on this. Here's Abraham to the rescue and he goes and... and, and uh, Defeat. He takes his men and they go and defeat the four kings. And the king of Sodom, is he's so thankful to Abraham. He says, I, I want to give you this money and these possessions. And Abraham says, no, no, I don't want you to give me anything less. Somebody would think that it was the king of Sodom that made me great. He said, God made me what I am and I want to be great in God. If I die tomorrow... I don't want to be remembered for the job I had, for the home I had, but I want to be remembered for what I did and what I was in the kingdom of God and what God done for me. He paid a tremendous price for me on Calvary. It was the blood that he shed that washed my sins away, and it's because of him that I am who I am today. Now, you would think, you would think, Abraham comes along and he makes this this saving rescue, and you would think that Lot would reevaluate his position and where he resides. But he goes back. Back in Sodom. How many times? I asked myself this question last night in prayer. I, I, I said, how many times, God, have you delivered me? I'm not talking about necessarily sin. I'm talking about just in a place I didn't need to be, things that I may not even know about. God, how many times have you delivered me, pulled me away from danger, and in my ignorance, I go right back to it? And Lot finds himself in this situation. God delivers him from the danger. He's back in it. And not only is he back in it, he misses a visitation from God. Because after all this fighting transpires, the Bible tells us that Abraham takes the tithes and offers it to Melchizedek. Now here, I, I'm thinking, what kind of man must this have Melchizedek been for Abraham, a friend of God, to want to bring tithes to him? The king of Salem shows up, no doubt ordained by God, and Lot doesn't even recognize him. He's ready to get back to Sodom. And we're talking about Lot, a righteous man. We're not talking about a heathen tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible calls him a righteous man. 2 Peter 2 and verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. In seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Bible calls him a righteous man, but every day there were things that vexed him. He seen things. He heard things. He listened to things. There was things that he couldn't get out of his mind, and they all went against his character and his values and his morality, yet he kept on living there. And the question that blazes in my mind is, Lot, if you are so vexed, why would you stay? Why would you stay if you're so vexed? I think we can recognize that 
Lot was more interested in the comforts that Sodom could provide than he was in protecting his family from danger. Lot has his family integrated with Sodom. They're living there. They got neighbors. And because of that, two of his four daughters now marry men from Sodom. So now he's not only moved into the city, he's got extended family. Lot's family takes a whole new mindset. Now they don't necessarily do like Sodom, but they begin to think like them a little bit. They don't live like Sodom, but they begin to pick up some of their culture, pick up some of, some of the habits that Sodom have. And what is apparent to me, and what I, I couldn't get away from in, in reading of this story, is that Lot knew that the danger was there. But Lot thought he could live in Sodom without Sodom affecting him. And either we're influencing Sodom, or Sodom is influencing us. There is, no, there is no neutral ground. Either I'm influencing the world or the world's influencing me. I'm only lying to myself if I think that I can stand on the fence and play patty cake with both sides and when I want to pick which way I'll go, I'll go. Eventually, when the world... Praise the Lord. When the world... When you stand on the fence, the agenda of the world keeps coming at your face and it keeps pushing against you and pushing against you and pushing against you. And we've got to make up our mind to stand on the truth, get off the fence. If you look at the aggression in Sodom, the sin, the immorality, the homosexuality. See, homosexuals can't reproduce. That's why they recruit And I know we don't want to talk about this in the church. And I say this respectfully. But we better get our heads out of the sand. We better better start dealing with some of this junk. And we better start preaching about some of this so our young people can understand. They're, they're They're hearing it all out there. So they better be able to come into the house of the Lord and hear what thou shalt not. Hallelujah. We are going to lose. We are going to lose not only young people, but lost loved ones if we don't make a stand against hell and stand on the Word of God. I know we're supposed to be. I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm not talking about stepping out of line. But it's high time that apostolics quit letting people run over them. And downgrade what we believe in and stand for the truth of God even when it ain't popular. Praise the Lord. Lot, Lot, Lot is sitting here at this gate. He's in the city and he sees these two visitors coming in the city. Now the men of the city, the people of Sodom, they see these two people and they tell them, now if you're coming in here, it's going to be what we say. It's, it's not what you, you, you going, whatever we're doing, you'll like it or lump it. Like my daddy used to tell me, it's my way or the highway. So we're not talking about tolerance here. It's not you do what you want and I'll do what I want. Sodom, had, Sodom and Gomorrah had come to the place where they forced what they done on whoever come to them. And is that not where we find ourselves today? The days of us coming to the house of the Lord and worshiping and having a good old time in the Holy Ghost and we'll leave everybody else alone and they leave us alone. Ladies and gentlemen, it's over. It's over. They hate us for how we live. They hate us for the name we proclaim. And it's not enough that they simply hate and despise us anymore, but they want to blot us out. They want to blot the name out. They want to take the Bible out of the school. They want to take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse lawn. They want to take the Bible out of the bookstores. Everything they do, not, not, just, not just let us have our way and stay in our own little corner. I will tell you now that the desires of many people across this country, not foreign soul, across this country, would be to chain them doors and we to never be allowed to have church in here again. 
And if we don't stand against the principalities and the powers of darkness, I know sometimes we don't want to get real spiritual. But if we don't want to stand against what's coming at us, we're going to lose. And there's no reason to lose because we can't lose. These angels, they've locked corrals them up. And I'm trying to hurry. Lot corrals them up. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going, y'all come on, I'm going to help you to my house. If you stay out here, this city, they'll eat you, they'll eat you up. So y'all come on into my, Lot, Lot thinks, he's done so far removed from God, he can't even recognize there's two angels standing there. He thinks he's saving them, and here they have come to save him. Come, come, come to my house. Instead of realizing that they're there to save him. And what happens when we adopt a secular mentality, the Bible says that perilous times would come. And he talks about it coming in this generation. That perilous times in the last days would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The devil is not afraid of religious people. He's not afraid of tithe payers. He's not afraid of church goers. What the devil is afraid of is people with power. And he's trying everything he can in this last days. See, he knows, the enemy knows better than we do that the end is nigh. He knows it's coming. And he's working overtime to pull the power from the church. The, devil, the devil's not afraid of us. He's afraid of the power. And when we have the power... When we allow the power to demonstrate. So Lot, he says, you stay here and I, and I watch over you. And, and, the, and the people are saying, you know what, Lot? You can stay here. You can live here. You can, you can abide here. You can shop here. But we, we don't want none of your God. Don't, don't, don't try... Don't try none of that tongue talking on us. Don't try none of that Holy Ghost power on us. And I'll tell you why Lot was unsuccessful in saving his family. While he was unsuccessful in being a light in Sodom. It's because the Sodomites were more passionate about their sin than Lot was passionate about God. And until we become as passionate about God as the world is about their way of life, we don't stand a chance. And the reason why, the reason why, and, and again, I'm saying this respectfully, that we don't see more revival and more souls saved is because we have been in neutral too long. We've let the world dictate how we evangelize. We've let the world dictate how we live to a certain extent. We've let the world dictate how far we, we go with our religion or how far we go with our message or this gospel. And it's, it's time that we get a mindset and, and the, what the world wants to do is cause us to forfeit the power of God, the Holy Ghost. We can't get caught up in the things of the world and miss God speaking to us. When we lose or forfeit the power of the Holy Ghost, we have no ability to recognize when God is trying to speak. When we lose the power of the Holy Ghost, we have no ability to recognize when God is trying to do something in our midst. And when we lose the power of the Holy Ghost, we have no way to affect the people we come in contact with on a daily basis. Sodom saw these men as... Saw them as men and Lot saw them as men. But the, these, these were angels and they revealed themselves and they asked Lot, do you have any other children? Yes, i got two daughters. They're married. You, you better run tell them now. Tomorrow, God's burning this place down. Lot runs, beats on the door and he's, he's trying to explain. And the Bible says that his son-in-laws looked as him as if one that mocked. They... They thought he was joking. So how, how far removed? This, this is the priest of the house. This is the leader of his home. How far removed, Brother Rayleigh, had he allowed himself to get from God where his son-in-laws couldn't even believe what he was saying? 
I, I wonder why were these angels even here? Why was God, why was he even taking the time to save Lot? Obviously, he had no desire to be saved. I'll tell you why. Because Abraham knew how to get the attention of God. Thank God for somebody that will pray. Thank God for somebody that prayed for me. If I hadn't told you in a while, Mama, thank you. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you, church, for praying for me. Thank God for somebody that will pray and intervene when we can't intervene for ourselves. Lot. Lot's living in Sodom and the city's closing in on him and the angels take him by the hand and they drag him out. He's wanting to hang around. They said, we got to go. It's time. Let's leave. Let's hurry. we got to escape. And I'm going to try to cut some of this out. But now Lot has stepped outside of the city. And he's, he started to realize it's the mercy of God that's saving him. Lot is starting to come to his senses here. You know, here's, here's angels pleading and beckoning with me. I didn't even want to leave, and God still stayed, and he's, he's pulling me out. So his mind is, is starting to clear up now, and he begins to, to see, I, I'm out, but God, I, I can't go to the mountain. It's, I, I hear bad things about the mountain. It's, it's evil, and there I may die. Now, imagine this with me in your mind. Has anybody got a Bible with pictures? Nobody has a Bible with pictures. I got a big, Toby's got a, I got a big Bible that I bought at Sam's that weighs about 65 pounds. It's big. And it's a pictured Bible. And there's a picture of this event in there. So imagine with me, if you will, that the clouds are beginning to fill up with fire. And the sky has a color to it that you've never seen before. Imminent danger is on the horizon. I mean, we're about to burn. And you're telling me that you're afraid to go to the mountain? Lord, are you serious? God is, in His grace and His mercy, He's pulling you out of this pit and He's wanting to take you a little bit higher and you're afraid? You think it's actually safer to live here close to judgment than it is to live up there in the abundance and the blessing of God. Lot was afraid of the wrong things. He's afraid of the mountaintop. He's afraid of moving higher. And I know we've all heard it. Well, if you get up there too high, you get too spiritual. Well, what are we supposed to do? Get carnal? What are we telling the world when we're afraid to go to the mountain that God has asked us to? What are we saying to the world when we are constantly living on the edge? Barely sliding by. Barely getting our feet in the door. Rather than being a church that is in tune with the Holy Ghost. Do we think that our worship will draw the lost here? I know everybody knows this, but there's praise and worship. Like, no disrespect, we've got the best in the world. But there's praise and worship at every church you go to. Is it the tongue talking? No. They talking in tongues up the street and down the street. Is it our program and is our preaching? It'll change the lives of people? Mm -mm. But when the power of God begins to move across this house, that's what's life changing. And in order for us to keep and have the moving power of God, we've got to be individuals and a church that is willing to be a part of the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and allow it to move freely through our midst. And we've got to be able to run to the mountaintop and not be afraid. The only way that we're going to survive and get out and run to the mountaintop, we've, we've got to get away from living on the edge. It's not optional, but Lot thinks it is, and he starts negotiating the terms. It's not, I don't see where that's at in the Bible. Could you 
would it be possible to show me that in black and white where I'm supposed to do that? Lot is saying, what's, what's wrong with just living in this little city? It's just a little city. Why, why do I have to go all the way up there? And all Lot is really doing, it has nothing to do with Zor, and it has nothing to do with a mountaintop. What Lot is doing is negotiating the line. How close can I get to the line and, and still make it in? How close can I get to the edge without getting burned? How close can I live my life here and miss the judgment? We're living in a day and hour where many churches are trying to figure out the bare minimum requirements. How much do I have to do to escape hell? Forget about the blessings of God. Forget about the abundant living. Tell me what I got to do just to hear the gate click behind me. You know, if we put it in a, like a relationship terminology, if I, I would not come to her and say, okay, you're on the clock. You've got 20 minutes. If you want to talk, talk. If you want to cuddle, let's cuddle. Three minutes is up. You better go. That wouldn't last long. And it's no different when I get at my chair in the morning and say, God, you've got 20 minutes. Now, this little devotion is going to take 10. My Bible reading is going to take five. That leaves you five. So you better speak if you're going to speak. No. No. I come to her and say, can, what, can we, what can we do? To, I want to spend the whole day with you. I want to be involved with you all day. Everywhere we go, I want, I want to feel you near me. Everything we do, I want to know that you're right there. And that's all that God is asking from us is to be a part, to be a permanent part. And see, Abraham had a whole different understanding of God. What was considered a mountain to Lot, that's just living on the plain to Abraham. The Bible said he lived on the plains of Mambri and the plains, the plains of Mambri overlooked a valley. He lived in a higher place with God. And when we see Abraham, before all of this takes place at Sodom, before it's burnt down, before the angels get in there, Abraham is sitting in his tent with the flap open. And he sees this Lord of hosts and angelics passing by. The Bible says he runs and falls at their feet. He says, come on, come, come to my house. Let, let me feed you. Sit down. Let me give you something to drink. He was waiting on a promise. Lot was the last to know that judgment was coming. Abraham was the first to know. Lot was living in Sodom. Abraham was living for God and being a friend of God. And Lot was living... See, Sodom could not affect Abraham. But Abraham affected Sodom. And I feel like Tonight in the Holy Ghost that God is wanting to pull us to a place. And I'm not insinuating by any stretch of the imagination that anybody is not in the wrong place. But I, I just feel that the Lord is wanting to pull us as individuals and as a church to a place where the world does not affect us anymore. But where we start affecting the world and changing the outcomes through our prayers. See, Abraham affected Sodom. By his prayers. Not only did he allow his prayers get Lot out, but he delayed the burning city for a while. God, God had given Abraham a promise, and sometimes it seems like all we do is wait on the promises of God. We pray and we pray. Abraham gets this promise when he's 75 and he's 99 and still waiting on it. The Lord of hosts comes by and visits with him. and He's talking to Abraham and the Lord has made his mind up to reveal on this day to Sarah. Sarah's in the tent. She's on the other, in the other room listening like most women do. And she um, begins to let... <laughs> That didn't come out like it's supposed to. 
She's laughing. Lord says, I hear you laughing. So he tells her he's going to give her a son. This time and next year, he's going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac. One of the meanings of the names of Isaac is laughter. God certainly has a sense of humor, don't he? You laugh, so I'll cause you to give birth to something that laughs. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? You've waited long enough, Sarah. So I'm about to give you your promise. And I'm going to ask our musicians to come. But I, I've, and stay with me while they're moving. I, I've just come to tell somebody that you have been waiting and waiting. You have prayed till you feel like you can't even pray anymore. You've cried tears, so many tears that you can't even count. You've spent so many sleepless nights at your bedside or at your chair, not even being able to pray, but just to weep and mourn before God and wonder where is that promise that you said I would get. And in our humanity, sometimes it just seems like it would be so much easier to quit. Just to throw in the towel. But if you haven't heard anything I said tonight, if you've been waiting on the Lord, let me tell you this. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And I am by no means a prophet. But I just feel in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody tonight that your day is drawing nigh. And it's not long before you're going to be able to stand up to the devil and say, now look who's laughing now. All the waiting, all the tears, all the crying out to God, it finally paid off for Abraham and Sarah. In a nutshell... There's two ways to live this life. You can either play now and pay later, which is a huge, huge price to pay. Or you can pay now and enjoy a life later that nobody in this house can even wrap their minds around. Lot chose play now and it came with a severe price his two daughters and son-in-laws he lost them when the judgment came and when he got to Zor his wife looked back and became a pillar of salt so he's down to two daughters and he ends up getting drunk have an incestuous relationship with them and those sons that were born became the worst enemies of Israel. Ammon, Moab. And Lot who once walked with the friend of God. Who once had so many earthly possessions that there was not room enough for them. Goes down in history tonight as the father of the enemies of Israel. That's, that's the price that he paid. But Abraham paid another kind of price, the price of walking separate, living holy and righteous. He prayed the pie, paid the price of being ridiculed at times about a name change, about being the father of many nations when he had no offspring. And what I'm saying tonight as we stand across this house, 
is that I know at times we pay a high price. But let's now more than ever, let's adjust our focus and make absolutely sure that our eyes are on the prize and that we've become so kingdom-minded that the kingdom of God and the things of God are steady on our mind and we're looking next for what we can do for God and His kingdom. And you say, Jerry, well, that's, that's pretty easy to speak. And it is. But I believe with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart our days are numbered. And I believe that the Lord is soon to return. And we've come too far. I, I, I say this respectfully, but I see some gray hairs in here tonight that he has lived for the Lord for a long time. And it's been said many times and many times from behind this desk. But the devil don't care if he gets you whether you're 8 or 80. He just wants you. And now more than ever, there, there's too high of a price to pay to live on the edge. Let's come up to the mountaintop where God is calling us and reaching forward. Will you lift your hands across this house. My God and my Savior, I'm so thankful tonight for your grace and your mercy and your abundant blessing. And I'm just asking that you touch our hearts and our minds. Praise the Lord. Can we gather around the front tonight? And let's just spend a few minutes thanking the Lord for His goodness. Let's take just a few minutes thanking the Lord for what He's done. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.